0: Good evening. Welcome to our weekly Thursday night class. Tonight is Thursday night, September 30th, 2021. And I am so grateful that you're here, that we're able to study together tonight. Last night, last week, I'm sorry, last week, we started a mini series on the subject of Shemitah. And I'd like to continue that tonight and a couple more weeks. The Rav, Rav Yosef Soloveitchik, tells a famous story about his grandfather, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik, who was a great Torah scholar in Eastern Europe. He was also a Dayan. He was the judge in his community. And one day, there was a case in his court over which he was presiding. It was a dispute over the ownership of a piece of land. This person said, the land belongs to me. And this person said, no, the land belongs to me. So, Reb Chaim is listening to the two litigants. He's weighing the evidence. And then all of a sudden, he gets up from his chair and he walks over and bends down to the ground and puts his head on the ground and he stays there for a moment and everyone in the room is is shocked this is not normal behavior in a jewish court and finally he got up and they said to him Rebbe what are you what are you doing on the floor so Ruchayim said you say the land belongs to you And you say the land belongs to you. But the earth says both of you belong to it. The subject that makes this point most clearly is Shemitah, the sabbatical year. Shemitah is a full year of listening to what the earth says to us. This Jewish year, 5782, that just began on Rosh Hashanah, is a Shemitah year. Probably. I say probably because there is a very complex discussion over which year is actually the Shemitah year. For example, we know from other sources that the Chorban Bayasheni, the destruction of the Second Temple, occurred during a Shemitah year. But we are not certain if that was the year 70 of the common era or 71 of the common era. So we don't actually have a year certain from which to count 7777 to know with certainty which year is Shemitah. Our calculation is based on the Rambam, Maimonides. And the Rambam established about 800 years ago, which year was Shemitah, and that is what we universally follow today, seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years years from that time, and that brings us to this year, 5782, which we assume, based on the calculation of the Rambam, is a Shemitah year. We will return to this question a little bit later. Shemitah has two main components. There is an agricultural component that applies mostly in Israel, but it does have applications for us outside of Israel, as we will see. And a financial component that applies everywhere in the world, globally. So what I'd like to do with you over tonight and the next couple of weeks is to study the basic rules, the significance and meaning of those rules. Then I want to discuss with you substantial problems in how to observe these rules in modern times then I want to share the solutions to those problems. I want to then discuss practical observance today, how practically we observe these rules today. And finally, I want to discuss with you ways in which we can benefit, ways in which Shemitah can enrich our lives this year and in the years going forward. So that's the roadmap I have for what I'd like to cover with you tonight and the next couple of weeks. But let's start here. A little bit out of order, but we'll start here. A Pasik in the Parsha of Re'ei in Dvarim, Deuteronomy. The Torah says, Mikates Shavashanim Every seven years. Observe a Shemitah year. Literally, the word Shemitah means to release or to relinquish or to stop. The Zedvarah shmita, And this is what happens in the Shemitah year. Shemot kobal mashe yado asher bereyehu. Every person who has lent money to another should cancel or release that debt. Well, if debts that I have made, I lent money to people and now people owe me money. And now you're telling me that Shemitah in some way is going to cancel the debt. Well, huh. I'm probably not going to keep lending money if I'm going to lend it and not be able to collect my debt. So that verse is followed by the next verse. A few psukim down. when it should happen that there is a person in need and they ask you for a loan Do not harden your heart against their request. Do not tighten your fist. Rather, you should open your hand generously to lend money to your fellow if you are able to. And be careful. Be careful that something insidious does not come into your heart to say, Hold on a second. This person is asking me for a loan, but Schmita's coming soon. And that means that if I lend him money, I'm not going to be able to collect it. And therefore, I'm going to say, Oh, I'm sorry. I just happen not to have any money. Oh, I'm sorry, I just happen not to be able to afford to lend you money. God says, Be very careful. Because if you do that, you'll be committing a serious sin. And of course, God says, I, God, will know. You should still lend him money. And do not think badly about lending money under these circumstances where you very well may not be able to collect it back. It is because of this that God will bless you and all of your endeavors. So don't ignore someone who asks you. Now, Those two go together, meaning (laughs) it would be a very easy thing a person who knows that they are going to lend money, but they're not going to be able to to, to have the money repaid. God has to say, but I'm warning you and I know what's in your heart and I know what you think, but don't do it. Don't close your hand just because the Shemitah is coming. Okay. Now, This applies to any personal loan between two Jewish parties that is due before the end of the Shemitah year. So that means this coming Rosh Hashanah, the one that's almost a year from now. So if there's a loan that is outstanding and the loan is due, but by the time Rosh Hashanah comes, the next Rosh Hashanah comes, it has not been collected. The next, this coming Rosh Hashanah, 2022 Rosh Hashanah, cancels the debt. Clearly, the interest of this mitzvah is to help people escape from the cycle of poverty, to narrow the gap between the wealthy and the poor you could think of it as achieving a similar kind of a goal as bankruptcy, giving people in need a chance for a fresh start. But this works in a very different manner, and I would argue in a much better manner for the individual and for society. Now, if you ask me the question, How can God command me to lend my money knowing I won't get it back? The answer to that question, which we established last week together, is it's not my money. I am the steward of the money in my pocket, in my bank account, in my paycheck. I am the trustee, and God, the actual owner, is instructing me how to use his funds. Now, there is a lot more to this subject. But because this law only becomes practically applicable at the end of this year, because it's only the end of the Shemitah year that releases and cancels the debts, we will leave this subject for now. And hopefully, with God's help, we will discuss it in greater length before next Rosh Hashanah. So probably over the summer, we will come back to this. When it is closer to the practical application of when it will take place, we'll come back to it. But the canceling of debts does show us that the entire subject of Shemitah is meant to transform society. It's meant to disrupt normal life and set it on a different, better course. And we will see this even more clearly just a little bit later tonight. But before getting to that, it should make sense that there is a dramatic conclusion to every Shemitah year. The Torah says, which we just read in, on Shabbos a couple of weeks ago, near the end of Dvarim Deuteronomy, the Torah says, Moshe Osam God told Moshe to command the Jewish people saying, you're about to go into the land of Israel. Miket Sheva at the end of seven years, there's a Shemitah year, right? We know about that already. We just learned about that. But at the end of that Shemitah year, B'chag HaSukos, on the holiday of Sukkos, so that's two weeks after the Shemitah year ended. This is next Sukkos. So the Shemitah year ended, and now it's Sukkos, two weeks later. At a time when the entire Jewish people will gather in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, when the Jewish people are living in Israel and the Beis Hamidosh is standing, there is a mitzvah for the entire Jewish people to gather in Jerusalem for Sukkos as well as Pesach and Shavuos. But this particular Sukkos that happens once every seven years, immediately after the Shemitah applies, something special happens, something even more special than all the other times that you gather in Jerusalem. HaKel is ha'am. Gather together the entire Jewish people. Ha'anoshim v'hanoshim vataf, Men and women and children. Leman yishm'u Ulaman yilm'adu v'yaru as Hashem alakeichem v'shamru lasos is called divrei ha In order for you to hear, in order for you to observe all of the words of the Torah. Our rabbis explain what would happen is the entire Jewish people would gather surrounding the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, and the Melech, the king, would speak, address the crowd, and would speak to the entire Jewish people. And he would read from the Torah, and he would talk about undertaking and observing all of God's commandments. And this was, once every seven years, a national ceremony where the entire Jewish people was gathered to reaffirm their belief in one God, their faith in God, their fealty and connection to the Torah and observing its mitzvahs. An incredible, incredible ceremony. Listen to how Dr. Mayor Tamari describes what this must have been like. This assembly of the entire nation in all its tribes, clans, and families of all social, economic, and educational classes was gathered immediately after the end of the Shemitah year. Rabbi Cook, first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, saw the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, as coming to cure Israel of the social dislocation, economic greed, and oppression of the previous six years, just as the Shabbat comes to cleanse us of the materialism and mundane of the six days of the week. The hakel, the gathering, is the public demonstration of this spiritual and moral lesson of the Shemitah year. It is the application of the innermost religiosity and cohesiveness of a people living according to a divinely revealed Torah. Unbelievable. What must that ceremony, that experience, have looked like, have felt like? Now, we will also discuss hakel in greater length next year, closer to the time that it would have occurred next sukkos. But now let's come back and let's turn to the main part of our topic, which is the agricultural laws of Shemitah, the sabbatical year. The Torah says, this is now in the parsha Bahar. In the book of Ayikra, Leviticus, the Torah says, Vayadabra Hashem al Bahar Sinai Hashem says to Moshe, B'nei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people and tell them when you come into the land of Israel and you settle the land of Israel, six years you should plant and harvest. Uba in the seventh year, Shabbos Shabbos on It should be a Shabbos a Sabbath, a year of Shabbos. Shabbos Lashem, a Sabbath to God. Do not plant your field. Do not plant your vineyard. What grows on its own, do not harvest. It should be a year of Shabbos. Shabbos Ha'aretz, And what does grow on its own? Share with everybody. Everyone is equal. Everyone can take whatever they want. That's the Shemitah. Now, in addition to the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year every seven years, you count seven years and then another seven and another seven. Once you get to the 49th year, then comes Yovel, which is the 50th year, the Jubilee year, which means 50. When the 50th year comes, that's like a super Shemitah. The first thing that happens is You blow Shofar, not on Rosh Hashanah, you also blow Shofar on Rosh Hashanah, but you blow Shofar on Yom Kippur. Very interesting. Yes, I know. We all know the custom. At the end of Yom Kippur, we end Neilah by blowing the Shofar. But this is different. This is blowing the shofar one time during the day of Yom Kippur, once every 50 years. On the Yom Kippur of the Yovel year, the 50th year. To announce, this is Yovel, the famous phrase, and proclaim liberty throughout the land. Well, I know that's written on the Liberty Bell of the United States of America, but it means something different here. Here it means, ish each person should return to their property. In other words, in the Yovel year, all land, real estate, that had been sold during the previous 50 years, returns to its original owner. In other words, there is no such thing as absolute ownership of property. The only thing that there is, is a lease. Now, you should be able to Comprehend on your own what the Pesach is now going to say. Every single real estate transaction ever in Israel, when the laws of Yovel are applicable, How much is a piece of land worth? Well, yes, of course, what's its quality, what's its size, what's its location. Yeah, 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 that's important. But the first question is, how many years do I have until Yeovil? Because when the Yovel comes, when the Jubilee year comes, it's going back to its original owner. So obviously, if I'm buying, in quotation marks, a field in year one of the Yovel cycle, well, it'll be in my possession for 49 more years. Okay, that's pretty good. But I'm thinking about buying a piece of land in the 48th year. I'm going to pay a lot less for it because I'm only going to have it for a very short amount of time. So therefore, every single purchase of real estate, a home, a field, land, is really a lease that will, whose price will depend on how many years there are until Yovel. No, absolute ownership. And then the Torah clearly tells us the purpose of this. Ki li God says, the land belongs to me. God says, Ki atem you are sojourners, you are stewards. I let you use it, but God says it belongs to me. So your usage comes with conditions, it comes with limitations. Listen, please, to the words of Rabbi Samson of If we picture to ourselves the carrying out of these laws, they present to our minds a most wonderful year-long act of homage performed by a whole nation where every field and orchard, every garden and meadow, every fruit, every blade of grass is made to proclaim that God and God alone is the Lord and owner of the land. Dutifully laying the whole territory at his feet, the inhabitants have to consider themselves as mere Gerim Vitoshavi, stewards, temporary dwellers, as tolerated tenants of the land, and stripped of all haughtiness and pride of possession retire before god in complete equality and equal rights with the poorest inhabitant and the animals of the wild notice that yovel is more far-reaching than shemitah because let's say you have years 46, 47, 48, those are regular years. 49 is a Shemitah year. Okay, Shemitah year, no planting, no harvesting. Everybody gets to share whatever grows equally. All right, that's pretty amazing by itself. We're going to come to that. That's year 49. Year 50, that's a Yovel year. Yovel is Shemitah plus. So it's a second year in a row of no planting and no harvesting. And everybody shares equally what grows by itself. Plus... All of the land returns to its original owner. It is a huge realignment of society. Now, Yovel does not apply today and has not applied since the time of the first temple period about 2,500 years ago. So we don't have Yovel practically applicable to us today. But that does raise the following question. If Yovel, the 50th year, does not apply, what do we do with counting year number 50? Is year number 50, again, remember, 46, 47, 48, those are regular years, 49 is a a Shemitah year, What happens in year 50? Is that number one of the next Shemitah cycle? So we go 48, 49, Shemitah, one, two, three, we start counting over again. Since Yovel doesn't apply, there is no Yovel year. Or does year 50 still remain in the count, even though the laws of Yovel do not apply? So the count would go like this. 46, 47, 48, regular years. 49, Shemitah. 50, Yovel, but nothing special happens. And 51 is year one counting towards the next seven. Well, most authorities hold that year 50 is removed from the count, like the first opinion that I shared. That's what we follow that's what we do. We only count up to seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Shmita. Then we start over one. And we do that, we do that uh endlessly since the time of the destruction of the second temple. Or let's just say, since the time of the Rambam. We do it without any break. Which means. There's no such thing as a Yovel year today. It, does, it just doesn't exist. Until sometime in the future, maybe when Mashiach comes and Yovel is reintroduced, we're going to have to reconfigure all the years. But there is no such thing as a Yovel year now. However, there is a minority opinion that disagrees, which means that there is a yoval year once every 50 years. It's just that we don't know when it is because no one has any idea because we've lost track of it. But it exists. And that means that the way we're supposed to be counting is every 50 years to add an extra year before getting to the next Shemitah. Which means This is a second reason that we are not absolutely certain which year is the Shemitah year. Because we have two different ways of counting the years. So again, we assume that this year, 5782, is a Shemitah year. But it's not absolutely certain. And we're going to come back to this issue Next week. Why were the laws of Yovel discontinued 2,500 years ago? Because the laws of Yovel require not only is the Beit HaMikdash standing in Jerusalem, but also that a majority of the world's Jews are living in Israel at that time. And that has not happened since the time of the first temple period. Okay. So we're dealing with Shemitah every seven years, and we're assuming this year is a Shemitah year. Well, in order to observe the Shemitah, the first thing we have to know is where is Israel? What are the boundaries? What are the borders of Israel? Where will Shemitah be applicable? Now, Let me be very clear. This is different than the political borders of the land of Israel. It's different than the security borders of the land of Israel. It's different than the ethnic or religious borders of the land of Israel. For the purposes of Shemitah, this applies specifically to the boundary of the land of Israel during the second temple period which was relatively smaller than the first temple period and than at other times in our history. So, for example, lot in the very southern part of Israel is not considered part of Israel for the purposes of Shemitah because it was not part of Israel during the second temple period, which means that any agriculture that takes place around lot, the very southern tip of Israel, is not subject to any rules of Shemitah. None, none of it applies. Number two. Along the western bank of the Jordan River, you may know that today the sliver of land just along the western bank of the Jordan River, is very fertile. A large amount of agriculture takes place there. And according to most opinions, that thin strip is not subject to the laws of Shemitah. It is not considered part of the, inside the boundaries of Israel for Shemitah purposes. Similarly, the Golan Heights, way up near what is today near Syrian border is not considered today part of the borders of Israel for Shemitah purposes. And again, I'm sure you know, that is also a very important agricultural area. So when we talk about how to apply Shemitah today, the first thing we have to know is there are certain significant areas that are exempted from all the laws that we're going to discuss. Another very important exception is, according to most authorities, Shemitah only applies to crops that are grown in the ground and therefore does not apply to crops that are grown in greenhouses, which are inside and detached from the ground. And as you may know, Israel is extremely advanced in the area of hydroponics and greenhouse growing, so this is also a significant source of agriculture that is not subject to the laws of Shemitah during this year. Okay. But, Concerning those parts of greater Israel that are within the borders for the purposes of Shemitah, the prohibitions of the Shemitah year are in three parts. Number one, we are not allowed to do any agricultural work in those areas. Planting, plowing, pruning, fertilizing, watering, watering, Harvesting, all of those things we're not allowed to do during the Shemitah, the whole year. Now, some of those things can be done in a limited manner to prevent permanent ruin to trees or to fields, but not to enhance growth. And certainly no harvesting. So that's number one, no agricultural work during the Shemitah year. Number two, the land is treated as if it is hefker, ownerless, which means the owner of a field is not allowed to lock his gates. Whatever grows by itself, which is called whatever grows by itself, let's say they are fruit trees. Fruit will grow on the trees. Everyone is allowed to come and take freely what they want. The owner is not allowed to block or lock or prevent anyone from coming and taking whatever they want, including the owner, but everyone, including the owner, can only take for their personal immediate use. Number three, what does grow on its own and is collected in a permissible manner by an individual for immediate use, has Kedushas Shevias, sanctity, it's holy, the sanctity of the seventh year, which is an amazing, amazing spiritual experience to be able to eat food that has Kedusha, that has sanctity. This is the only example in our time. During the time the Beit HaMikdash was standing, there were sanctified foods like the sacrifices, other holy f- foods that were imbued with holiness. We don't have that today. This is the only example where there can be an actual food that is imbued with Kedusha, with sanctity, that we're allowed to eat under certain circumstances. But that also means that there are a number of rules that go along with eating sanctified holy food. For example, you're not allowed to willfully destroy it, even a morsel. You're not allowed to waste it. You're not allowed to throw it away. It has to be consumed by humans. The year that I graduated college, 1979, the Jewish year 7980, was a Shemitah year. And when I graduated college, I moved to Israel for the year to study in Yeshiva. And I realized it was a Shemitah year. I didn't know so much about it at that time, but I realized it was something very special to be living in Israel during a Shemitah year. Very soon, After I arrived, I was living in a neighborhood called Bayit Vagan. I was studying in a yeshiva there. And a couple of weeks after I arrived, I was invited for a Shabbos meal. Someone who was a relative of a relative, they invited me for a Shabbos meal. I was very happy to go. So I went to their house for Shabbos lunch. And they served an appetizer. I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was a gefilte fish. I don't remember. But they served it a little plate, an appetizer. And there was, let's say it was a piece of fish, if that's what it was. And there was a garnish. There was a a wedge of tomato. So I ate the fish. It was okay. But I didn't eat the tomato. I left it on my plate. My host looks at my plate and he says, You didn't eat your tomato. I said, Thank you very much. I don't I don't care for raw tomatoes. I like tomato sauce. I like pizza. I like things made with tomatoes. I just don't care for raw tomatoes. I said no, thank you. He said to me, Eat the tomato. <laughs> I said But I I don't care for it. (laughs) He said, it's Shemitah. You can't leave the tomato on your plate. If it's on your plate, you've got to eat it. So I ate the tomato. You can't leave anything over on your plate during the Shemitah year. Because it's holy, you can't waste it. And that means... If you go to Israel during this year, I hope we get the chance to go to Israel, don't plant a tree with JNF. You're not allowed to plant a tree this year in Israel. Don't wash your hands outside because if you wash your hands outside, you may unintentionally be watering the ground. You're not allowed to do that during the Shemitah. Some people have the practice of that when they say Havdalah on Saturday night, they fill up the cup of wine and they fill it so that it overflows. Not during the Shemitah, because you're wasting drops of wine. You're not allowed to do that. Many of us have the practice at the Pesach Seder, when we get to the ten plagues, we take a drop of wine and dr- Remove it from our cup, not this year, because you can't waste drops of wine, because it has Kedushas Shavias, sanctity of the Shemitah year. And here's where it's really relevant to us exporting that produce outside of Israel becomes very complicated because since it's holy to take it from a place that is holy Israel and to export it to a place that is less holy, like Montreal or anywhere else outside of Israel, I'm not picking on Montreal, anywhere outside of Israel that's a complicated subject It's not so simple that that's permitted, which means we're going to have to have a discussion next year. What do we do about Lulavan Esrog? Is it permitted to export a Lulavan Esrog from Israel for us to use for next year's Sukkos? I'm going to just tell you in advance the answer is yes, but it's not so easy to understand the reasoning of why the answer is yes. We're going to have to discuss that. But we are going to have to discuss the subject of buying Israeli fruits and vegetables in the grocery store this year. We'll get to it. But it's a problem. And it's a particular problem when it comes to the subject of wine. Because once something has the sanctity of Shemitah, it doesn't go away. So wine that comes from grapes that are grown during the Shemitah year is subject to Kedusha shvius, the sanctity of the Shemitah, you may not see that wine for several years. And it is a question that needs to be discussed if it is permitted to export that wine outside of Israel. Now, it's very interesting. The first time in my experience I ever saw wine. With Kedushah Shvias, the sanctity of Shemitah, being sold outside of Israel, was the 2015 vintage. In 2017, for the first time, you could find in the stores, even here in Quebec, wine from Israel 2015. Well, 2015 was a Shemitah year. And it was available for sale in Montreal, Toronto, New York, and places around the world how is it permitted to sell that wine outside of israel all right that's an interesting question we'll discuss that later but here's what you have to know if you had such a bottle of wine and it says 2015 and the same thing is going to apply a few years from now if you find a bottle of wine in the in the in the saq that has the year 2021 I'm sorry, 2022, that is going to have Kedush shvius. You know what that means? You can't waste it. So if you open that bottle, you have to drink every drop. And that means you need to make an announcement to your guests at the table, which I've had the privilege to make this announcement at my table a number of times to say, listen, we have a very special bottle of wine. It's a 2015 bottle of wine from Israel. It has Kedush HaShvi'as, sanctity, holiness. But if you take it in your glass, you have to finish the whole glass. Don't leave over a drop because we can't waste even a drop because it's subject to the sanctity of Shemitah. Okay? All right, well, so let me ask you this question. If you are a farmer in Israel and you can't plant and you can't plow and you can't prune and you can't water and you can't fertilize and you can't harvest and you can't sell, what do you do all year? Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said that Shemitah, is the application of the laws of Shabbos to the land of Israel. Alon Tal wrote an article a number of years ago where he points out that just like you can only have intelligible speech by allowing for silence between the sounds of the words, Life also is only intelligible when there are breaks that allow people to maintain equilibrium in the face of the relentless march of time. Shabbos gives us a breather on a micro-weekly level. Shemitah gives us a breather on a macro level. What do we do during Shemitah? Well, we set aside aside time for the spiritual pursuits that we did not have time for during the previous six years when we were working so hard to plant and to plow and to water and to fertilize and to harvest. So we're able to divert our attention to those areas of life, study of Torah, prayer, intellectual pursuits, getting reacquainted with our family. But it's not just that. It's not just during the year of Shemitah. We find more time for family and study and maybe some hobbies. It's also about reconsidering our priorities for the next six years. Just like on Shabbos, we rest and hopefully our blood pressure comes down a little bit and we are able to have a sense of calm and spiritual centeredness that will inform the rest of the week. The Shemitah year should inspire us to make the coming six years more significant and equitable and inspirational. Ultimately, the Shemitah is designed so that we can consider the possibility of trading in Alon Tal's words the pervasive emphasis on materialism in favor of social solidarity and individual self-actualization. This year should make us better people individually and collectively as a society. Soil fertility is a renewable resource. So is the human spirit. And Tal ends with this line. Let's hope that as the earth becomes renewed during the Shemitah year, so will our communities, our nation, and our lives. It's an ambitious goal, which is exactly what God intends it to be. So that's Shemitah. But the next question, to which we will turn next week, is how do we realistically apply this in modern times? I look forward to discussing that with you next Thursday night. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening and a great Shabbos.